Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Equip You Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And with me today is our new friends and brothers in Christ, Corey and Ross. Welcome to the show, men. Thanks for inviting us, Jay. Yeah, it's great Thanks to be here. Sure. Yeah, it's great to have you. Uh, can you just briefly, both of, both of you, tell us about your life, marriage, ministry, and what are you working on ministry project-wise? Uh, Corey, go ahead. Uh, so married with three children, and uh, lead a ministry called Ratio Christi that is campus-oriented, dealing with uh, reasons for belief in science, history, and philosophy. We're on about 100 college campuses with um, student ministry, high school ministry, and professors division as well. And I've been married for almost 30 years. I come from Utah, but I'm in uh, West Lafayette, Indiana, next to Purdue University now. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. And um, I, I'm living in Utah now. I was born in Utah, but raised in California. I came back to Utah to plant a church uh, 40 years ago. So I'm a pastor at a, at a multi-site church, teaching pastor there. But a few years ago, because of my training and because of my uh, background as a Mormon, I thought, you know, we need to do something to help our churches understand the cultural context and understand Mormonism better and to adapt their ministry to it. So we started a ministry called Utah Advance. And more recently, our Utah Advance has taken on what we call the Faith After Mormonism Project, uh, where we are helping people transition from Mormonism into biblical faith and not just throw the baby out with the bathwater. But I'm married my wife and I, uh, it's our second marriage for us both. We've been married nine years. Between us, we have five adult kids. And I'm still a pastor at Alpine Church, and 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 um, I'm, my, I'm semi-retired now. And we're trying to help, like I said, uh, change the Christian culture of Utah to make it more thoughtful and intentional about how to really engage with Latter-day Saints. That's really important work, for sure. For sure. Um, thank you, men, for both of your work for God's glory. Uh, well, can you uh, tell us about this new book, Responding to the Mormon Missionary Message, Confident Conversations with Mormon Missionaries and Other Latter-day Saints? Yeah, the um, the Mormon Missionary Movement is quite significant. One uh, apostle has recently said that by the end of this year, they will be up to their largest number ever, 100,000 missionaries now. 70,000 of those are teaching missionaries and 30,000 service missionaries. And about 10% of those are former teaching missionaries that for one reason or another, honorable discharge, so to speak, uh, had to come off their mission and to fulfill their you know, uh, commitment, they're doing it through services with an agency in the church. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, we, we want to give Christians an opportunity to feel confident knowing what's gonna be happening on Monday night. Uh, you know, how many times to exhale, how many times to inhale, what passages they're going to go through. Um, the structure of the book is set up in such a way that the first half is looking at, um, you know, the, the culture of Mormonism, um, the interior psychology of Mormonism, and then also a day-to-day routine by uh, for the Mormon missionaries from the time they raise up in the, in the morning to the time they go to bed at night and everything in between there. 
And then the second half of the book is structured to um, address system systematically. What this book really does is it's, I think, unique in its in its approach is it, it takes you not only the person that knows that the theology to, to take the theology of them, but to understand more of their more of their culture and and to um, speak in a way that they can understand with the gospel, not just to, to speak, but to speak in a way that they'll understand you. And I think that that is um, really, really important, not only for the person that knows like about Mormonism, you know, they know the culture and those kind of things and the lifestyle, but also, you know, taking those truths of the, of the, the biblical gospel and bringing them to bear on people's hearts and lives. And I was just really um blessed in particular by i mean by the whole book but in particular by you guys' uh uh chapters um i think that it's uh really important i'm I'm excited for people to pick up this book mm -hmm. um so consider that uh, a high endorsement there i guess um <laughs> you know we can't write that down now because it's already published but you know <laughs> hopefully hopefully that makes people even more interested to to check it out but um you know in the in the book you guys talk about uh, discernment. You guys open up the book by talking about discernment, which I think is really important. Uh, why is it important that Christians gain knowledge and discernment they need uh, to resist Mormon conversion tactics and to be equipped to share the biblical gospel with Mormon missionaries? Yeah, there's a lot in that. That's a great question. There's a lot there. First, let me just back up. Young that I learned taking the opportunity to share the, to the the moment that God you share the gospel and, the, and then leaving the things. This is one of the things we say. This is why it's important because Latter Day Saints who are active in their faith and particularly the Latter Day Saint missionaries, um, they don't they don't feel like they're like hungry targets for spiritual truth. But you know, at our, we had our our Faith After Mormonism conference on Saturday, and uh, there was a presenter who was there. Guy named Eric Johnson, and uh, he was had a, he had a book table and so forth. So somebody came up to him and said, "Wait, wait, wait a minute. Are, were you at uh, some such such and such an event? Were you talking to Mormon people at this event? Like when was that? That was like eight years ago." She said, "I was there and I talked to you and I wrote you off, but what you said has stuck with me." Mm -hmm. And now and now she's a, a, a new believer coming out of Mormonism. That's why she came to our event. So eight years later, Eric was blessed to see the fruit of the seed that he'd planted and, and many, many more that he probably won't see until, until we're with Jesus someday. So this is one of the reasons why it's important for Christians to, to read the book and to have the principles of the book, because we're becoming more and more aware of former Mormon missionaries who are coming to faith. It's happening like never before. Now, not while they're on their mission necessarily. But later, and, and they are all telling us, and some of our authors are in that boat, but they're telling us that the Christians that they talked to along the way were part of the equation. So we really, not only do we want people not to become Mormons, but and to be equipped to, to defend themselves against Mormon message, but also we, we're, we just want to see Christians equipped because their effort, God can use it. And so that's what we're trying to help people to, to see um, right, writing the book. Great point. Yeah, that's... yeah. I think Paul said, um, "I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth." And uh, you never can write off, you know, your witnessing counter, even if you can't see the material fruit. Yeah, that's true. That's true. 
Well, Ross, why is it important for Christians to have a good grasp of the biblical gospel and how biblical truth relates to LDS claims? Well, the, it's because the Mormon approach, the Mormon gospel, as they call it, is a complete counterfeit of biblical gospel. And, and one of the challenges is that the Mormon church uses terminology. They use biblical words like salvation and eternal life and 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 even God and heaven and so forth, but they use them in very different ways than we've than the Bible defines them. And so because the meaning of words and concepts is so different, it's easy to be deceived if you don't have a good grasp on the real thing. So LDS missionaries are well trained, but mostly they only deal with stereotypes of biblical Christianity. And so they've never encountered probably the real deal. And so when we can share the gospel, not just cognitively, that for sure, but share it also experientially, um, as Corey will get to in his chapter, um, that that helps these Mormon missionaries hear something and, and experience something that they've never experienced before. Yeah. And, and I appreciate that you both said, don't run away, don't look down. I mean, when I lived in the Seattle area, there would be many times when I took the bus and they would be right there. And I'd walk up to them and they saw, oh, you have a Bible. Um, cause you know, I carry a Bible around, uh, now I use mostly my phone, but they, they would come up to me and I would go up to them and shake their hand and, and have a nice conversation. And I'm sure people were looking on like, what are you doing? But it, it, that didn't matter. You know, it mattered to, it matters when you see them to, you know, reach out to them and, and befriend them and have conversations with them. And you guys even talk about this in the book, you know, um, you know, reaching out to them, talking to them, even even having a conversation with them can be, like you said, Ross, earlier, a vehicle uh, to share the gospel with them. And, uh, you know, you, you just never know, like you said. And, and you're right. You're both right. You know, we don't know the results. They, they belong to God. We're just supposed to be faithful. So, um, yeah, there are certain uh, fundamental beliefs for Mormonism, but you never know what the individual Mormon holds him or herself, and to what degree of tenacity, and what their um, their issues are, right? Every person is an individual, and when we're doing personal evangelism, we need to treat it personally, uh, not like they're some, you know, algorithm or uh, template or something like that. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, one, one thing that I find helpful in doing this is just asking a person, who do you think Jesus is? Um, now, some people will view that in a hostile way. Um, you know, I've had hostile responses to that questions from Jehovah's Witnesses, for example. But it just it opens the conversation. Who do you think Jesus is? And and then ask some more questions. Uh, open up the Bible. Show them who Jesus is. Uh, John one, for example. Um, other other texts. I think that's a, a good way to to go about it. And um, I, I am I'm also a fan, like you said, Corey of uh, not using a cookie cutter approach or having a template, just trying to address what the person is saying. They're, they're going to give you the material. Um, if you ask good questions, they can't, they can't help it. You know, um, mm -hmm. out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, you know, Luke six forty five, And so um, I think that's really good. Uh, any, any thoughts on that guys, before we go to the next question? I concur. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, well, Ross, you write about the need for Christians to understand Mormon culture and how this culture shapes their identity and the influence it has on uh, how Latter Saints hear and evaluate truth. Why is it so important for Christians to understand this as they engage with Mormons? Well, Mormons, Latter-day Saints in our neighborhoods, they look and they seem a lot like us. They have a lot of the same values that evangelical Christians have. They have good families and so forth. And so it's easy to feel like, oh, they're pretty much like me. And they are. In many ways, they're like us. They're a subset of American. But and if I, and if I don't understand what's going on maybe behind the scenes or behind their uh, the obvious, then I don't know how to communicate. I want to actually engage and communicate uh, I don't want to miscommunicate. And so, for example, certain cultural traits of Mormonism, there's a real sensitivity to persecution because they were persecuted in the past, in the early years of Mormonism, and they've cultivated that sense as part of their identity. And so if I come on too strong or if I act like I'm just like hammering on a point and not listening, then they're going to flip the persecution card and boom, the walls will go up. I want to. I better know about that before we talk. And I'm going like, well, that they were so unreceptive. But there's something else going on. Part of the culture determines things like how spiritual decisions are made. And Latter Day Saints make spiritual decisions in private. They're very personal, and that's why, for example, mass evangelism crusades have never been successful in Utah hmm. because they don't. Latter Day Saints are not going to make a spiritual decision in front of a crowd or with the band playing and so forth. And there's a lot of things in the culture that defines what uh, people are offended by. And that's true in every culture. We have certain things that that I find more offensive because I've been uh, ingrained in me by my culture. And so they're offended by, by if I um, speak negatively of their leaders, they're derogatorily. Um, so that's what, those are some reasons why I want to understand the culture somewhat so that I can communicate clearly. Uh, to the person's heart and not only to their mind. Ross, you write about Mormons using testimonies and the centrality of stories to them. What are three ways to adapt our presentation of the gospel uh, message to the Mormon narrative approach? Right. This is part of the culture. The culture says that stories are really important, and Mormons see themselves as embedded in several big stories, uh, the big story of the history of, of the restoration of the gospel and so forth. And so if I want to understand the culture, I'm going to try to understand how to use story. And three things. Number one is I, I want to understand and communicate the grand narrative of the Bible. The Bible is a story, and it's not it's not written in propositional terms alone. It's not just a doctrinal textbook, but it's a story. It starts with God's creation of the world and the fall of humanity. It starts God with God making covenant, and then the 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 leading up to the the chapter where God sends His Savior, the chosen Savior, into the world and creates a new community. And then the story ends with the consummation of all things. And so, if I understand that story then I can put that up against side by side with the Mormon grand narrative uh, that they call the plan of salvation or the plan of happiness. So it's one way. A second way, I think, is to use Jesus stories from the gospel and look at stories of Jesus and dig in and farm out or mine out what the principles are. What is Jesus saying and how does he enact that? And so Jesus stories are pretty uh, common ground. And then I want to learn how to tell my own story in light of the Bible's larger story. I want to share my testimony. It's a little bit of a different meaning of the word. Uh, Corey can explain that. But 
my testimony is how God has worked in my life and my faith story. And I want to learn how to weave that into the bar, the Bible's larger story and tell how I've experienced creation, fall, covenant, savior, community, consummation, et cetera, what I'm hoping for, et cetera. And so my story becomes part of it, part of the deal. That's really good. Really good. Well, well, Corey, why is it important for Christians to understand where the three levels of authority reside within Mormonism so they can effectively engage others with the gospel? At the outset, I think a lot of Christians tend to think that the authorities are going to be the Mormon scriptures, and they certainly do carry uh, an enormous weight of authority. The Book of Mormon, the Doctrine of Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, and the King James Bible, as far as it's translated correctly, which is their eighth article of faith, and that tells you something about where they place the Bible on the shelf. Um, doesn't matter if it's got problems, though, because they have living prophets, and that's the other level of authority, beginning with Joseph Smith, the founding prophet and president, to uh, everything in between, and the importance they lay on modern revelation and the living prophet who carries that, that mantle of um, the, the church's authority. But with the average Mormon that you're talking with, even though those two are uh, go-to authorities for them, at the end of the day, for many Mormons, most Mormons, uh, for I guess a really high number of Mormons, the personal testimony is what's ultimately authoritative. Um, sometimes they will respond to your, you know, logical argumentation, which is good, but um, it seems like it's ineffective at times because they'll say in not so many words, don't confuse me with the facts. I've got a feeling. Um, I don't care what you say. I don't care if you show Joseph Smith is a false prophet. I know that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the one true church. I know Joseph Smith is a prophet of God. I know the Book of Mormon is the word of God. I know that Jesus is my Savior and Heavenly Father loves me. And then they may begin getting teary-eyed and, and weeping right there in front of you. This is a testimony that they are sought to um, find, that they are told to uh, deploy uh, in offensive measures to um, impact their prospective investigator, their prospective convert. Uh, they're taught to utilize when they're in a corner and they need to go on the defensive. Um, they're taught to ex have a testimony and to maintain a testimony. And so this testimony is this inner subjective ecstatic uh, utterance as, um, you know, it's called in the Doctrine and Covenants, the burning in the bosom, as it were. And a lot of Mormons will, that's their buck stopper right there. And so if the average Christian doesn't know how to arrest and to address that issue, uh, it's a non-essential of doctrine, but it is quite essential for dialogue because it's going to come up almost every single meeting you have with a Mormon missionary. And every single Mormon will sit back on that and fall back on that as their, um, as their authority, their personal revelation that they know that the prophets are true and that the scriptures that they their church embraces are true. Yeah, yeah. You can really see that in Micah Wilder's story in Passport to Heaven. You know, when he's getting up and he's sharing that and then he's he's realizing instead, you know, this is around the time he's already become a Christian and he's sharing, you know, he's 
testifying of Christ before before that. Of course, we know that that caused uh, some issues for him. Yeah. Uh, praise God. Praise God. And that's putting it mildly. But praise God, he was so bold and uh, testified of of Christ. So, yeah, his his mission president wanted him to get up and bear testimony properly in front of the younger LDS missionaries because there was something off about his. It was Christ-centered and Christ alone. And um, that's not typical. That's not how you're trained. That's not how you do it. You need to sustain the authorities of the church, and you need to come back to the Book of Mormon and Joseph Smith as well. They've got to be included in the testimony. Yeah, I think this is one of the most unique aspects of the book, this this next question. Um, you write about, Corey, you write about the need for Mormons to doubt their testimony before we share the truth mm-hmm. of Christ with them. What do you mean by this? And can you give us some examples to flesh it out? Because, you know, Mormons do come to people's houses mm-hmm. and and they, they do encounter them on the street. And I think this is an important thing for um, especially the average Christian in, in, in the pew um, as they encounter uh, Mormons out in their world. This is their epistemology. This is their theory of knowledge. This is how they know what they know to be true. And um, no matter what you say, if they uh, aren't able to fall back on that testimony, you won't make it far to second or third base and unlikely a home run. At some point, they've got to start doubting their uh, over-reliance on a subjective testimony. Now, I want Christians to know, because a lot of Christians poo-poo the LDS testimony and just brush it aside as irrationality, <clears throat> but I think there's a better way. I think that we can build bridges uh, by embracing the value, uh, embracing the validity of subjective encounter with God. I mean, that's central. When Jesus says, here then is eternal life, the purpose to life is knowledge of God, to know God. Um, his spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Testimony is used throughout the Bible as a, as a Christian philosopher. Testimony is a, a major way of knowing, like perception is a major way of knowing. And so we don't want to poo-poo testimony per se. The problem isn't with the subjective element that comes along with testimony. It's the, uh, the subjective element as a sole criterion for truth. Because, and I try to illustrate this with the Mormons so that they can see it, as as Ross points out, using story, I want to embed the testimony experience back into their founding story so that they really get it down deep. When Joseph Smith uh, was challenged by which of the various Protestant churches to join at the time, um, he went into the forest to pray, as it were, and God and Jesus appeared to him and he said, you know, join none of them. They're all apostate. They've all gone astray, but we're here to restore the priestly authority um, so that you can restore the church. And at the same time, in that Grove experience, I communicate with the LDS missionaries that while I appreciate them sharing their testimonies, uh, I do have some questions about it. Well, what's that? Well, in the same way that Joseph Smith was challenged in the Grove with so many different um, uh, Protestant Um, members saying, join my church, join my church, no, join my church. I feel challenged as someone who is talking with you LDS missionaries that I know that there is the fundamentalist Mormons out there wanting me to join their church and you want me to join your church. And 
the community of Christ Church that followed Joseph Smith's first wife and his son. Um, and over 400 splinter groups from the time of the death of Joseph Smith. All of them have a testimony and they all contradict one another. And most of them, many of them at least, have their own sets of apostles and prophets as well. So I'm asking, like Joseph Smith was asking now, which one of the one true churches is the one true, one true church? And I say, um, do you think it's the ones that are, um, you know, polygamous or the one that followed Joseph Smith's family line? And they say, no. And I say, then do you think they're lying? Are you judging their hearts? Knowing that in our culture, you don't, you know, that's the only Bible verse people know. Don't judge lest you be judged. No, no, we wouldn't, we wouldn't judge their hearts, but you think they're wrong. Yes. So you think they're deceived, right? After they've prayed Moroni 10, 4 at the end of the Book of Mormon and received the testimony, you think they are deceived. They instantly feel where that's going. And I say, so the question is, is how do you know you're not deceived? How can you rely on that merely subjective testimony is a sole criterion for truth. And they'll sometimes say, well, how do you, they'll throw it back and they, they like asking questions. Uh, it's a good strategy for us as well. Um, and I'll say, well, uh, I've listened to you quite a bit now. I would like the opportunity to bear my testimony. But in um, addition, I don't want to just bear one subjective a testimony, testimony among others. I want to actually um, look at what the objective testimony of Scripture says in the Bible, and there, you know, is one particular passage where I love to take Mormons, and it's because it is the place where the word testimony is used uh, at least a half a dozen times in First John nine through chapter five verses nine through thirteen, and in the King James it's going to say the word witness. Uh, in other translations, it'll use witness or testimony. It's the same Greek word, and you can show them that. Um, but it says this, and I use NIV, which is standard, uh, because it's a version that uses testimony, and most Christians have it. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which is given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made God out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. Listen closely, elders. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has the life right now. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have the life. And it finally says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And elders, I testify to you that I know that I have eternal life, the greatest of all gifts of God, as it says in the Doctrine and Covenants. And I will spend eternity with Heavenly Father if I die right now. Why? Because I trust in the testimony of God that he's given us about his son. My personal testimony matches objective testimony. Do you have that testimony? If you were to die right now, you would spend eternity with Heavenly Father? They can never say yes, ever. They cannot have the assurance. They're always struggling with uh, worthiness and a sense of assurance, a lack of assurance. Yeah, you know, when when I saw Corey was going to write on this topic, I was really curious to see what he's going to come up with. 
And <laughs> when he, when the, his chapter came out, I thought, wow, that's a home run. Because I've been in ministry among Latter-day Saints for 40 plus years. And the testimony issue is one that I get questions about all the time. And there was a trend for a while in uh, Christian apologetics to Mormonism to say, no, we're not even going to go there. We have to try to defend uh, truth against subjectivity, and and we're just going to try to undermine the whole testimony idea, the whole epistemology, and um, and that, that didn't ever, ever really go anywhere. But the strength of, of Corey's approach to testimony is that it takes into account the Mormon culture, the, the experiential culture, and it works within the experiential culture to draw a bridge and connect some dots to an objective testimony, God's testimony. And so it really understands the Mormon heart, and it speaks it in terms of Mormon language and Mormon experience. And uh, so this is, uh, you know, if this was just a standalone, uh, I would recommend this all the time. So so consequently, I recommend the book all the time, uh, just for this chapter alone, uh, because it's uh, it's a question I hear all the time. And Corey's answer connects so well with the LDS culture and experience. I wish uh, that's really good, guys. I wish that, you know, when I was living in Boise area, that I had something like this in that chapter because it would have helped me to to better speak to uh, my Mormon neighbors. Uh, many who were not practicing at the time, uh, they were not faithfully attending um, at all their, their local stake or any anything like that. But, you know, here I am, I'm trying to share the gospel with them. And even so, um, like you said, you guys make a great point. Even so, God can use um, our our labors. But I think that this is a, a very practical, helpful strategy. It it takes the, it takes the person, it, it not only like you're, does what you were saying, but it also gives them dignity. You're, you're not looking down um, there at down their nose or down your nose or anything like that at them you're treating them with dignity value and respect um you're treating them with you know uh loving loving the lord and loving them with with the truth and uh but but you're also peeling back the layers and understanding where what where is the foundation where's your foundation and i think that is so so vital uh to do and so i think that like you said ross um you know we we have we have as a, as an as apologists we do want to defend the truth but but we have to also address the person and so i i think Corey, what you've put forward here is phenomenally it's it's one of the best things i think i've ever read on on this topic so uh, i think it's really 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 helpful so i i just want to say thank you uh, for that brother um it's it's uh it's a blessing uh, well, it's a, it's a it's a package deal, you know. That's one of the things that uh, we've appreciated uh, as a project putting this book together. Um, Ross often says that it's a it's a good blend of the affective and the cognitive. And when you're looking at um, you know uh, some of the stories that are told throughout, as well as you know doctrinal clarification and presentation, uh, but you get the sense of the vulnerability of the individuals and. Uh, the hearts of the individuals and the sense in which those who are on their mission are persons and they've got weak links in the armor. They've got issues that they're struggling with and it's up to us to uh, try to be cultural um, psychological diagnosticians, right? So we understand the Bible, we understand just the essentials of Mormonism is all it takes really 
and then uh, try to understand the, the person uh, by using two ears and one mouth for a reason so that we, we listen first. Yeah, that's really good. Well, where can, uh, where can people go to find you guys on, on social media or otherwise? And you could find our stuff at utahadvance.com. That's our ministry. And on there, you can find our uh, way to our podcast called CultureWise. Well, let me tell you this. One quick takeaway for me is I met with missionaries this summer once the book had gone to the publisher. And um, so the missionaries came knocking on my door. I thought, I better meet with these guys because I wrote the book. You know, well, I didn't really write the whole book. But what I'm point, my point is, is that I found myself referring to the book a lot, to the chapters that other people wrote or other authors wrote who were former Mormon missionaries. That book was useful. It was really helpful. So it proved itself in my own experience. But one of the things that's so helpful, not only the, the way that our authors raise key issues, biblical issues, but also our authors, I thought, is a great takeaway, is that they capture a real compassion for active Latter-day Saints for the weight that standard. So you really get a sense of the for the heart that our authors have, and you really get a sense of how, how hard it is to be an active Mormon and how um, the challenges are. Um, so yeah, there's a great interaction with the uh, Preach My Gospel missionary manual. But there's also a very strong compassion and understanding of the LDS person's felt needs and their biggest challenges. And I think that's really uh, a unique, kind of a unique voice and kind of a unique package that that we're hoping people will find. Yeah, and as Ross said earlier on, this book is absolutely unique. There's never been a book like this written to address the systemically the um, Mormon missionary discussions written by almost all former Mormon missionaries who did their full missions from coast to coast and around the world. One of them even wrote a book, A Biblical Defense of Mormonism, before he converted to the biblical Christ. Uh, others have gone on for Masters of Divinity, for doctorate degrees, uh, have ministries, podcasts, speaking music ministries of their own. So these are all serious people. They were all serious with their Mormon faith as well. So you've got a, a collection of us. We want people to get this book so that they uh, then can feel free to call LDS missionaries, invite them over, and they already know how they're going to breathe and think and feel and what they're going to expect of you so that you're not um, you know, surprised, you don't at react defensively, uh, you're totally comfortable, confident. Uh, you can see after the first missionary discussion that the book nails it. It told exactly what was going to happen, and that's what happened. And in the second missionary and following, so it really gives an opportunity now not only to stop the bloodletting of seeing you know people moving out of christian churches and into mormonism but it gives the opportunity for christians to be challenged to know why they believe what they believe and to see this in interaction and most importantly to be able to get the gospel out there uh, to mormon missionaries uh that can then have a cascading effect that they may then turn around and and uh, reconvert those they've already baptized and go back and perhaps lead their families to Christ as well. Amen. Guys, we've been talking today with our friends and our brother in Christ, uh, Corey Miller and Ross Anderson about their book, Responding to the Mormon Missionary Message, Confident Conversations with Mormon Missionaries and Other Latter-day Saints. I want to encourage you to go ahead and pick up a copy of this book. It is helpful. It is useful in the, in the best sense of the word. And thank you, men, for 
your time today and for serving our audience and for your service to the broader body of Christ. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.